And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. Now, wait a minute, Eve. I seem to recall that this house has some connection with the Revolutionary War. There are are no patches on the elbows of of this jacket, thankfully. Obviously, for obvious reasons. That said... George Washington sleep here once. I think um, I I, uh, I forget who I heard say this, but they they made the, the comparison of to, to continue the analogy of of you know heliocentrism. Okay. In my research, I found out that you had been beaten brutally by two white officers with uh, your host Dave Dufour. Uh, Hello. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Parnell. Washington then asked George, Do you know who chopped down my cherry tree? He looked straight into his dad's eye and said, I cannot tell a lie. I did it with my hatchet. Here's Johnny. Hey, it's Friday, and you know what that means. It's time for Nerder. Hello, and welcome to Shiro. Again, I'm not Dave Dufour. Shout out to Dave. We miss him, and we think he'll be coming back next week, hopefully. Uh, so I'm joined by my colleague and partner, and to make sure I don't completely screw this up, Seth Partnow. How are we doing? Mo, how are you? I'm good. I didn't even introduce myself. That's how bad I am at this. I'm, I'm Mo. You guys should know that by now if you're regular listeners. And today we're so lucky. I'm excited. We have the machine here as our guest. We have Kevin Pelton from ESPN. KP, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Glad to join you guys. Seth and I were debating beforehand whether we've ever done a podcast before, which is pretty wild given what close friends we are. And we weren't sure. So we can at least call this our maiden podcast together, even if it isn't. The the, the inaugural Kevin Pelton, Seth Partnow, uh, podcast group, the, I guess. The nerd off. The nerd off. There we go. Well, he's a machine. You're going to lose. Oh, he's yeah. Just a machine, nerds right? versus machine. It, there like, we go. Like monsters versus aliens. Excellent. I do, before we start, want to just shout out, KP's got a beautiful Seattle Sonics uh, poster in his background. And um, just, you know, shout out to the Sonics. I hope Seattle gets a team relatively soon. Um, but as we do, as we start every show, we're going to start with our favorite things. And I'm going to go to Seth today, you know, not be a nice, gracious host and go to my uh, guest, uh, Kevin. Sorry, I forgot your name for oh, a second. Uh, <laughs> going to go to Seth. Seth, what's your favorite thing this week? Um, My favorite thing this week is the insistence that, that coaches often have on playing mediocre and below veterans over promising young guys. I think it's both – it hurts teams' performance both now and later, and I hate it. I hate it. I, hate it. I want it to go away. How do you really feel about it? I I, I think it was clear. <laughs> okay, so like, what's your example? Give so, us an example. I mean, it. I mean, it's kind of hard because every fan wants to see all the young guys play, but the specific uh, one right now is um, maybe it's just two of his best games have been against the Bucks, and I tend to both here and watch Bucks teams, but, but AJ Griffin for Atlanta has stayed kind of fringy on the rotation in the rotation there. And he's seems good. He's big, which is a playoff useful trait um, and kind of gives them some pop that they otherwise need that neither holiday has really provided at all, nor frankly, are they likely to do so. And just the insistence on like splitting time because veterans, I it just you know both again from a winning games now because I think Griffin's probably just better. But even if not, if AJ Griffin costs you a game or two in November and that makes a material difference in your season, you sucked anyway. And and just knowing, hey, can this guy play or not? Is this guy a go forward guy for us? Is so much more important than that than that one win in November that you might cost yourself. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, go ahead, Kevin. Sorry. Now, number one is I wear my UW 
hoodie, I'm going to take offense to this characterization of Justin Holiday, who has not shot the ball well this season, but has a long track record of being a useful role player in this league. But I mean, I do agree. I mean, AJ Griffin's playing really well. He was someone that my projections were quite high on after his one season at Duke. So it's not totally surprising to me that we're seeing this. I, I will say, you know, as you talk about the future element of it, this is something that I've researched that has been a topic I've been interested in going back to like my very first year at ESPN. I wrote a list of like questions to answer in basketball statistics. And one of them is, you know, does playing time matter for development? And it took me a while to kind of find a good way that I liked to measure this because naturally, you know, who tends to play more is rookies, guys who are good is rookies and they turn to to be better weird (laughs) no um i think it's a crutch for coaches seth i think it's a a a comfort level with guys that they know have been in the league and have experience not saying it's a good thing I, i think you're right but i think a lot of coaches get very sort of just used to it justin holiday kicked our ass a couple of times so i know what he can do he's on our team now it's it's you know along those lines we we see it with a lot of coaches across the league like we can we can talk about nate mcmillan but i think every coach has that to a degree in terms of guys that they will play when they should be playing somebody else in this or at least give you minutes so that you can see what you have i always talk about it we talked about it last week the importance of playing you know, the young guys sometimes is just to know what can they do? And you talked about it a little bit, but it's because injuries happen. Things happen. You're going to be in a situation where like, crap, so-and-so is in foul trouble. I need, you know, my rookie to play an extra 15 minutes tonight. What the hell are we going to do? And and I think that's part of the, the situation there. I think that's what leads to a lot of it. Those sets is coaches generally are just stuck in their ways and tend to go with the the experience yeah it's not and i it, i'm not i don't want to single nate mcmillan out it's just aj griffin is the player who kind of is 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 spurring this from me right now um and and i think that the the, the, the evaluation piece isn't just like we might need him later in the season like the knicks are going to be in a situation where they got to start making decisions on obi toppin and emmanuel quickly and I think you probably have a pretty good idea that that quickly is a, is is a player who you would probably like to continue with at at some level of investment. Toppin, I'm not sure you've really given a chance to show what he can do in any real role consistently, and that's and that's you know just that not knowing puts you in a position to make a bad mistake, uh, like either not signing a guy who you should have or committing to three or four years to a guy who is is. is quickly falls out of the rotation yeah and it also shapes your other decisions that you're making is you know I, in the Knicks case they've already committed to Julius Randle so that that one's gonna be tough to undo but uh, <laughs> right you know in Atlanta's case how are you approaching the trade deadline how AJ Griffin plays or in the next couple of months could have an influence on that again they've already made a decision that starting small forward with a lot of DeAndre Hunter but yeah I so like when I did research this kind of what I found was you really don't need minutes necessarily to develop because I looked at guys that rookies that went to atypically good teams for their for where they were drafted versus rookies that went to atypically bad teams for their they where they were drafted. And naturally the ones on atypically bad teams played a lot more as rookies. But then you went two, three years down the road, the players who had gone to atypically good teams had actually ended up better. Now that doesn't necessarily tell us why that happened. Maybe the reason these teams are good is because they have infrastructure that develops those guys and, and makes them look good. But it does seem to indicate that you don't necessarily need minutes to develop. But I don't think that's what you're talking about with A.J. Griffin anyway. Like What he has done on the court so far has merited those minutes. Yeah, I, I think that's the most important thing. But enough of Seth's favorite thing it's too much Seth let's go to KP KP what's your favorite thing from basketball this week or since it's your first time on the podcast overall in the past uh few weeks I mean so I've got I've got two one of them is brief technically uh Candace Parker announcing the other day on Richard Dietrich's podcast that she's going to come back to play again next season in the WNBA WNBA at age uh, 37. Very exciting news. We already had Sue Bird, Sylvia Fowles, two of the greats of all time, hang it up after last season. To lose Candace Parker on top of that, especially when, like Fowles, still maybe one of the top 10 players in the league at this point in her career, would have been a real disappointment. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. Like just in general, like we want to keep good players rolling as long as they can and give her credit going through and playing this long is, is really a testament to what, how she's taking care of herself as well as the other, you know, bird obviously been playing forever and, and Sylvia Fowle is the same thing. So, um, but yeah, pretty, pretty awesome there. Since, and since you brought her up, I think that, that, I've really enjoyed the uh, stylings of the, uh, the 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 three person booth with her and Reggie Miller and, and Kevin Harlan. And by the way, uh, uh, what uh, a, a group that has sort of seamlessly worked in uh, um, some some more, I mean, metrics friendly. They they talk about usage rate without even feeling the need to explain what they're talking about. It's just part of their conversation. I've, and I've really enjoyed both kind of the vibe and the the level of of analysis that group has given us. KP, your second favorite thing. Okay, so my NBA-specific one is actually kind of the opposite of what Seth is talking about, which is a rookie who's been getting a lot of minutes lately due to injuries, and you know those have changed the options, but still playing ahead of some players who are more experienced than him, and that's incest home city of Milwaukee, Marjan Beauchamp getting starting minutes the last five games here with, uh, I think, five of the last six with Drew Holiday sidelined and Pat Connaughton and, and so many other guys, uh, Grayson Allen, uh, creating that opening in the starting lineup. And he's someone that I've been watching back to when he was in high school. And I think he suffered in my evaluation because every time I saw Marjan Beauchamp play, it was in the same setting as Paolo Bancaro. Like in the Jamal Crawford crossover, they played together against the USA team in a practice before the Hoop Summit, I think 2019. And like I knew that Paolo was a good prospect. I didn't know that he was a, I'm going to come in the NBA and average the most points by any rookie since David Robinson level prospect. (laughs) Pretty good, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah. I I think that kind of hurt Marshawn in my eyes, but also he was like trying to play a very, wing creator kind of role is a young player and at some point along the line when he got to g league ignite last year after you know he thought he was going to declare for the 2021 draft and turned out there just wasn't the interest that he thought there was going to be uh he's kind of reinvented himself as a three and d wing not shooting great from three overall but has had two big three-point shooting nights as a starter and has really been active and i think quite effective at the defensive end right away so you know he's not super young as a rookie he's 22 now but uh still i think earlier returns than milwaukee was probably expecting with that draft pick Gives the Bucks something that they've sorely lacked, which is a, just a little bit of of kind of athletic pop outside of Giannis, and even you know, like even Pat Connaughton obviously is athletic, but it's not. It's sort of you know, two it's not foot, the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. Like this is this is you're watching this going like, damn, that dude's athletic. You know, you're like, wow, this dude can fly and, and no get up and down the floor exactly. Yeah. No, no offense to Connaughton, but that's a, there's a different level of athleticism that you're getting from Bochamp versus. Uh, good old Pat. And I think that, that, you know, that's when we're talking about vulnerabilities that, that this Bucks team has, you know, obviously injuries are one, but it is kind of um, at times in the, at times in the Boston series last year, they kind of looked slow. And so addressing that a little bit, um, which Joe Ingles, when he comes back, probably won't, but, but getting, get, but getting Bochamp, you know, having him be, I don't want to say ready, but plausibly ready is a nice development for them. Yeah. And, you know, just because you took a little shot at my guy, Joe, just, you know, he's so slow. It looks fast. That's that's the deal for him. OK, that's the story there with with Joe Ingles. I can't believe you took a couple shots. But I can't I'm believe t- I can't believe I'm getting painted as anti Joe Ingles. <laughs> I worked with the dude in Australia. Trust me. I know, <laughs> Joe, I deal with it. I've dealt with him. <laughs> Love you, Joe. You're a pain in the ass still. Um, but ultimately, now my favorite things. Two of them. One. Um, Seth, did you enjoy the end of the Miami Heat Phoenix Suns game? The 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 one that ended with a uh um game saving block and and great defensive play from one Jimmy Butler. See, Seth, this is why I say we do not need the Elam ending. That's my favorite thing. That was one of those games that proved to you. You don't need the Elam ending to have exciting ends to the game. We don't need to manufacture ends. So that's my one favorite thing. Uh, but really my my real favorite thing, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I tried to tell you guys last year the Thunder need to build around this guy. 
it's time to play him and, and, and let him go go off and, and things like that. Look what he's doing right now. Just last night, dominant in the way he's playing. He's averaging 31.5 points, 5.8 assists, 4.4 rebounds, shooting 37.8% from three, like pretty damn impressive. I, I have no counter to that. Although no. I – the one, th- the one counter is if you're saying you still to be a title team, you probably need a top five player. As great as he's been this year, you like, do we start to put him in the same breath as as Giannis or Steph or Luka or Jokic or or and Embiid? Is he there yet? Now, I think a lot of the pushback you got last year was we were like, oh, he'll never get there, and now it's like. Yeah, well, maybe, and and so I just like having to have the argument is obviously a uh, a pretty good spot to be for Oklahoma City and for for Shea. I mean, here's my wins above replacement player metric rankings so far this season: Luca, Steph, Jason Tatum. Shea's number four. I got to go take a victory lap. Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, the old 14 right, game victory yeah. lap. 14 games is not a season make, but still for him to be just, able to be there. Sh- and- you could just stop KP with what you had. He, he's <laughs> also, I mean, he's also just, you know, you don't want to overreact to it because I think we've both seen KP that like over time, uh, kind of clutch bucket getting tends to regress to the mean a little bit. But man, as he hit some filthy shots down the end of games this year. I mean, that shot against Washington, a little like step back three, which I was still like, damn, Jay, okay, um, was unbelievable. And I thought just kind of his performance in that game was, hey, I'm going to put you guys on my back here and let's get going. And, and the Thunder have been fun. And we, I think we knew they were going to be a fun team going into this season. I think even with the, the Chet injury, we were still pretty excited with everything that they were going to put together. Shea, Ludor, Giddy's looked good. Uh Poku's been okay. Eh, I'm I'm not jumping on the Poku train. I mean, he was okay in the first quarter and then terrible the rest of the game. I mean, the Thunder won because they benched him um, in in that sense. But they're, listen, seven and eight right at the cusp of, of being a playing team. Is this a team you guys think should should try to just say, screw it? Let's try to make the playing tournament. I mean, you've already got a number two pick coming next year in Chet Holmgren when you get right. him back from injury. So obviously, you know, the better pick, the better long term. But I don't think that there's the urgency for them to get a top pick this season in the same way that it, there is maybe for Houston, because guess what? The Rockets next year uh, owe their first round pick. I can't remember if it's a swap or outright or what the protections are, but to Oklahoma City. So, <laughs> you know, that Houston is a team that probably shouldn't be trying for the play on in tournament as a result of that. OKC, I think, comfortably can't. I think the Rockets are don't have to worry. <laughs> well, fair, <yes. laughs> fair, fair enough uh, with all that stuff. But this leads us to our our bigger topic here. We want to just talk about guys that are kicking ass, that are just kind of playing extremely well. I mean, Shea's one of them. But you know, we as the season started, still relatively early, as you guys were were laughing at my victory lap at fourteen games. Um, and by the way, I think I might have twisted an ankle. The instance of that is, you know, other guys who, who have been just awesome and n- not even necessarily like top, top guys. Like, I'll just kick it off. Kevin Herter has been freaking outstanding for the the Kings and the, and the Kings are a lot of fun, but would just kind of shows a little bit of like just a little bit more usage for him. And you're seeing so much more from him. Obviously, he's, I don't think he's going to shoot at the million percent from three that he's shooting, but like. He's still going to probably have a career year from three just the way he's shooting the ball right now. It'd be hard not to with this start. Yeah, I mean, 53% from three. It's kind of interesting that both – they weren't traded for each other. They were separate trades, but I think Atlanta looked at them as linked transactions. Both ends of that Kevin Herter-DeJounte Murray trade have been working out phenomenally for those two teams so far. Herter making all these threes, giving Sacramento this shooting dimension that, uh, you know, they, they have a number of shooters now because Keegan Murray has, you know, been a threat. 
four shooters around or, or three shooters around the deer and Fox, DeMontis, Sabonis, pick and roll, I think is kind of the, their logic and that's playing out very well. And then in Atlanta, DeJounte Murray has shot the ball pretty well himself and just been an awesome pair with Trey Young in the backcourt, kind of making up for the fact that Trey hasn't shot the ball wet well yet thus far. I came across an interesting Kings stat as I was just going through some stuff this morning. They've, I mean, they, they've probably been a little unlucky. They have, when you look at, uh, at, at, you know, the proportion of, of threes that are contested that the opponents take. The Kings are, are, are first in the league. They're, they're allowing the lowest proportion of opponent threes like on NBA.com. It's wide open. But they're giving up an, on those open shots. Opponents are hitting just under 44% of them. That's going to, if that normalizes a little bit, that, you know, probably gets their defense to, you know, they're, they're, 20 25th 26 now that gets it probably closer to you know high teens and all of a sudden you know that seven and eight becomes a, a, a an eight or sorry they're seven and six now then all of a sudden they they start to look like maybe a playing team your best take ever I mean, don't tell that to Jay King in the Jay King minute on Basket Buzz. Please keep that stat away from him. I don't need just it. live with bad you calls. Know, even though I just took a victory lap. We don't need a Jay King victory lap. Uh, which stat is he going to victory lap on? It's part of the game. I don't know, but I don't want uh, – it just <laughs> wins. It's just yeah. wins. I, I, yeah. I don't know. But, you know, Jay, he's going to find something. Kevin, who's kicking ass for you this year? Just live with him. <laughs> well, it's funny because speaking of Sacramento. That's it. Tyrese Halliburton <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> I was kind of shocked on the uh, – I was watching the Charlotte broadcast of their game against the Pacers last night. And uh, – uh, it was presented by Eric Collins, our play-by-play announcer, to Del Curry. Uh, who would you rather have of the two Tyrese's, the only two Tyrese's in NBA history, Halliburton and Maxey? And I was kind of surprised he chose Maxey as well as Halliburton has played this season. He's shooting the three extremely well, and we saw that as a rookie. But as a rookie, it was really all catch and shoots, playing off of Deer and Fox when they played together, and you know the you know doing a little bit of on-ball stuff, but mostly getting to the basket then. Now he's shooting a ton of step-back threes. He talked about this on the uh, the Old Man in the Three podcast with J.J. Redick last week and making those at a strong clip. He's still got the playmaking ability out of the pick and roll. And this is another team, Indiana, that we thought was tanking. And lo and behold, I believe they're also above 500 after that win over Charlotte last night, right? Yeah, seven and six. They're sitting in the sixth seed right now of the you know, long way to go, but still. Uh, it's a great start. Like you can't, we can't knock these starts with guys. Like, I think that's kind of the, the fun thing with this is teams that we thought were going to be bad. And we've talked about this at nauseum. I think on every podcast has talked about the NBA, you know, has started out really good. Well, some of that will level off. Some of that will change and things like that. And some of the teams that are struggling will find a stride and get going, but this is, it's promising start. And when you're looking at it with Halliburton and, and, I love Benedict Mathurin. I don't know if he's ever going to be anything more than just scoring and 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 just more scoring, but this is going to be fun as hell to watch uh, throughout his career. And I think Halliburton's kind of a perfect sort of just let's pace it together and let's get this whole thing going. I I love what they're doing with him in Indiana. I think we talked about it two weeks ago about about Mathurin. Maybe maybe it was last week, but the thing that that. Um, He's not necessarily a player archetype. I've always loved in the draft, but the thing he's doing that kind of gives him a solid base, he's getting to the line a ton. And that leads to another player who is, is I think, if it keeps up, it's a it's sort of a big step forward, is Jason Tatum has really added that to his game. Like, you know, he's, he's I think, drawing about four more free throws per hundred this year than last year. And he was already, like, on the high side. But for a guy who has the ball in his hands as much as he does, just making himself a little more uh, insulated against, you know, you, you take the tough shots that that those kind of players take, you're going to have some four for 18 nights. But if you're four for 18 and you're 10 of 11 from the line, it's a bad night, not a disastrous night. I feel like it's fascinating Boston's transformation early this season. I'm not necessarily like worried about their defense, especially with uh, you know Robert Williams the third due back at some point. But for them to be number one by 
almost three points per 100 possessions over anybody else in the league right now. And by the way, the aforementioned Sacramento Kings, the beam team, are number two in that stat. Oh, uh, the beam team. Oh, that's perfect. Is, isn't oh. it great? I think Herter coined that from what I saw. Uh, but for them to be scoring at that rate after the way we saw their offense bogged down in the finals against the Warriors is really remarkable. And I think sets up for, you know, Milwaukee with the injuries they've had has played great relative to that. Boston and Milwaukee still seem to me far and away the two best teams in the league. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's it's close. And Tatum's just again, Tatum's hitting that stride of, yeah, I'm a superstar one of the top three guys in the league type situations and, and everything that goes with it. But let me ask you guys this question. I counted it out. There are eight guys averaging over 30 points. John Morant's ninth at 29.3. How absurd is this? Is this something that's going to stick? Are we going to have this many guys, even if we have like five or six guys that average 30 for the season, is this going to be a thing we're going to have this year? I looked at something like uh, it wasn't 30 points. It was the number of, I think it was two seasons ago. We had, there's something like 40 some guys averaging 20, like kind of midway through the season. I looked at this and um, there's a few things going on. One, it, we're in a, a high offensive environment, obviously. I mean, we're still, I think, on pace to set the highest offensive rating since that's been tracked by a couple points, even uh, if kind of the, the normal flow of a season. Uh, goes um, the you know on a per possession basis we're playing at a pretty high pace so that's a lot of chances and um, you know teams have in the last couple of years have tended to kind of concentrate shots more heavily in a few guys so uh, you know is there a term for that I the, yeah I think there is I, I, but I'm not just not just in terms of heliocentrism <laughs> yeah. it's more just like in the top you know even if you you expand it to like the top two or three guys like the the usage is being more highly concentrated in a smaller number of of, of players whether it's one two or three so you know it's a it's a you know uh, the the ball is juiced we're playing faster and more of the more of the juiced ball at bats basically are going to kind of the star players what kind of juice is in the ball sorry bad joke okay just keep <laughs> just keep just ignore it go <laughs> so, mo has outed himself here is not listening to the hoop collective podcast because on monday <laughs> i have i have i swear i did on monday was, with brian windhorst we talked about the number of 30 point scores is part of our small sample size theater podcast and, and it was not because of the take foul see i listen <laughs> it was not because of the take foul. No. so uh, it, what's interesting is, to Seth's point, we've had more players average 30 points per 36 minutes the last few seasons. Not, not, not last season specifically, but the couple before that, I think there were six one year and four the other. And those were the most in a season in NBA history. But those guys weren't averaging 30 points because they weren't playing enough minutes. And what's changed early this season is stars are playing a higher minute load. And I don't think I went through and looked up whether it's common for that to happen this early in the season and then kind of to fade as players go through the bulk of the schedule and fatigue starts to set in. But that's that's so far the driving force in this because guys were already scoring at this rate. They just weren't playing, scoring as many points per game. Yeah, and, and to, to your point, you know the, the guy who's scoring 30 at the fewest minutes is Giannis at 32, but everybody else is generally above the 35 minute threshold in terms of that. And that is something I think early in the season with what you have, uh, surprising because you kind of want to ease guys into it and, and, and get going into the season. Uh, so we're talking about guys being awesome and Giannis, obviously someone, you know, doing that in 32 minutes. Everyone knows Giannis is awesome. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, Go back to my roots a little bit, and Brooke Lopez has been – it may not show up in, in all of the top-line numbers, but defensive player of the year on the table. I'm going to say it. You Well, you posed the question on Twitter last night. Yeah. Is, uh, I thought that's only a guards, guards award. <laughs> <laughs> Is Brooke Lopez an all-star? And obviously, Milwaukee fans enthusiastically agreed. I mean, I think you can make a pretty strong case. Bam Adebayo has not had a great start by his standards offensively. 
I, I think you can make a pretty good case that Brooke has been the second best center in the East thus far, whether that actually translates to an all-star appearance because A, it's, it's still only 14 games. B, uh, how many centers are actually going to be on the roster if we don't if we have just a general front court designation? I think those questions are to be resolved, but he he certainly merits consideration. Also, who cares about game. defense in the All Star game? <laughs> well, uh, it's hard to play Brook Lopez in an All Star game. That's really up and down. <laughs> Even though he's moving great, it's hard. You're asking a lot from Brook. <laughs> yeah, but he just has to cross half court and then he'll let it fly. You know when you care about defense in the All-Star game is when you get to that Elam then Yes. Yeah, that's where it belongs. In the All-Star game. That's it. I actually think <laughs> college basketball, by for the record. I, I'm a big Elam ending fan, but I don't think we need it in the NBA. NBA end of games are usually pretty good. College basketball end of games are interminable with like 80,000 intentional fouls when a team is down 13 points and like that overcoaching is what we need to get rid of Elamending actually needs to be done in college basketball college basketball is just terrible in general and the coaching in college basketball is god awful but that's a whole other podcast for another time stay with us for a quick second we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back after that Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Keep your recordings going, please. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. After this, I'm uh, talking to Fred Katz about the Knicks. I went walking that ribbon of highway, and I saw above me that in the skyway, I saw below me. Woody was born at a very fortuitous time for a chronicler of American crisis right. because he came of age in the dust of the 1930 He left his home state of, of Oklahoma when he was 17 years old, and he moved to, uh, to join his father in Texas panhandle town of Tampa. And that's where the, the dust storms hit in, in 1935, particularly with a bad year, and he was right there in the middle of that. 
And you know who's also back? Damian Lillard. How about that for a transition, Seth? Man, that's man. That, I, they better watch out. Um, Damian Lillard has come back. He looks amazing. I want to talk about the Portland Trailblazers. They're sitting on top of the Western Conference at ten and four. And I'm sorry, I just don't believe them. I don't believe them. Why am I wrong? You're not. Oh. I mean, they're 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 ten and four, and I have them currently twelfth in in you know game by game net rating. Um, their defense, which started the year really strong, has has kind of slipped recently. They're, they're probably going to fall out of the top ten after another game or two. Um, I think they're they're they are they are a good story, and they're going to be much improved from last year. They're going to make they're probably going to make the playoffs. They are playing over their heads right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, believe in them is what? Like the best team in the Western Conference? No, of course not. They've got a plus 1.9 differential, as Seth alluded to. They've won a ton of games on uh, last second buzzer beaters, including, you know, two that literally, you know, were game winning buzzer beaters. They hadn't done that in a season, in a three game span, they did that. They hadn't done that in a full season in 13 years or 14 years. Uh, so, like, yeah, they're, they're not going to keep this up, but. Coming into this season, you know, the expectations were pretty low for the Blazers. They were terrible in the preseason where they were trying to play really aggressive defensive coverages with Yusuf Nurkic, and it wasn't working at all. They were switching with him or, you know, hard showing. And one thing that we've already seen is I think Chauncey Billups has the right kind of personnel to play the style that he wants defensively, which he didn't last season with a team that was still built for Terry Stotts' conservative defensive coverages. And he's adapted a little bit. He's not being as aggressive, but they're playing a ton of zone. I think they're second or third in the league in zone usage at this point. Uh, they they have you know better perimeter def- wing defenders than they've had the last couple of seasons. Jeremy Grant has been an awesome pickup for them. And if they get back to the playoffs, I mean, I think that's exceeding expectations. The other thing on their defense is they haven't yet had their best defender, who's Gary Payton II. And that's going to lead to some interesting rotation choices as much as Shaden Sharp has been playing as a rookie and, you know, as, as well as he's been playing, given his inexperience after not playing last year at Kentucky. So that'll be interesting to see how Chauncey Billups manages that. But, you know, I think compared to where my expectations were for the Blazers a month ago, this has been awesome. Yeah, I think it's fair to say they exceeded expectations because I think everybody was like 9, 10 in the uh, sort of uh, playing range scenario. They, part of it, too, is just the start for some of these other teams that I thought would be better. I thought the Clippers would be better. I don't think anybody was prepared for the 6 and 8 Warriors in in, in that area to kind of be so uh, so bad. I think there's, there's some of that with it, but I'm just concerned with the fact – I think their defense is going to get figured out very quickly at this point. You know, you they beat the Spurs, but the Spurs were killing them in pick and roll. And their pick and roll defense wasn't much better. I still think they're switching too much, and it's putting them in bad situations. KP, you're 100% correct. They're playing a ton of zone. It's been extremely effective. It would save them against San Antonio. It, yeah. it, it, it did. But you know what's going to happen is, all right, 
teams are going to start spending a little bit more time as the Blazers come figuring out zone. And the thing is, other teams are playing zone now. It's it's not where it's like they're the only ones springing a zone on us. Miami, I think, is playing the most zone they've ever played. I think you've seen I've seen I saw Atlanta turn it around against the Knicks in a game by playing zone. Like we're seeing more and more zone defenses, which I love because more creativity from coaches. Thank you. But I think this starts to get figured out at a certain point. And I'll be very curious to see how they handle that with going forward. And beyond that, I think just there's there's some obvious personnel limitations. I mean, you're you're starting with uh with 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 Dame, whose whose compete level has been higher this year, maybe than it has been in the past. Anthony Simons, another small guard who's never been particularly adept on that end, has maybe improved a little bit, but uh Nurkic was was a probably a slightly above average defender early in his career i think that after after the injuries i think he's he's certainly for an interior defender well below that drew eubanks is solid but they other than that they don't really have any size um so there's just certain vulnerability to getting you know beaten the paint offensive rebounds things of that nature um so i think that that there's sort of an attritional element as well as as they just kind of get worn down and i you know jeremy grant can't be your your interior presence i i I don't think i mean the other thing i'll say as a blazers optimist is they've also done this with damian lillard missing some time they played a couple of games without lillard both lillard and simons which they don't really have a third point guard on the roster uh so Justice you know, Winslow takes offense. Yeah, he's been awesome <laughs> in that role. No, I yeah. mean, he has done really well for them, but he's he's not a point guard. He's a point forward. Mm-hmm. And they won one of those games that neither of those two guys played in Phoenix. And so they've banked some of those lucky wins. You know, if if Damian Lillard is reasonably healthy going forward, I think they'll be better than offensively than they've been on so far, which is 12th. So I, I said the other day, I think there's a better than 50-50 shot at them making the playoffs and or I guess I said better than 50-50 of them making the top six. That might be a little too aggressive. All right, well, no, I think that's – I don't I, I don't think that's too aggressive. I think that's fair. Um, I think, you know, just getting the, you know, the three or so extra wins they might have already and having the head start on some other teams and, you know, the, the, the Clippers are going to have to go a long way to, I think, to prove that, that their roster can hold up to, to get to – you know, high forties or more wins, um, and to, to, to pass them, um, that the Timberwolves have got a lot to do to turn around. Um, the, the, the jazz, I think we're already starting to see, unfortunately, I mean, they've lost three in a row now. The fun's um, over for the jazz. Yeah. Can, I, I don't want to say the fun's over, but it's like, you know, they're hitting their little blip. I mean, golden state, I think we gotta be a little worried because they're doing, they're doing this with Steph still being absolutely nuclear and uh, nuclear. 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 Thank you. you Yeah. Uh, So as a guy who invented heliocentrism, can't say the word nuclear. What are we doing here? Uh, The other thing that kind of I find interesting for them is Jeremy Grant has started the season on fire from three. Like there's no way that sustains like that's going to drop down and they're barely winning games now. And it's, you know, I don't think they're I think that we think their defense is going to regress a little bit. I think his shooting is going to regress. Then I'll be very curious to see how it plays out. They've played, you know, of their 10 wins, six of them are under clutch circumstances, the way the NBA describes, NBA stats describes it, you know, five minutes, five points, all that stuff. I'm going to be very interested in watching how they go forward. But let me ask, throw this question to you, because forget top six. Will they have home court advantage at the start of the playoffs? I think probably not. I mean, I think that's there's enough West teams that are playing well that came into the season with higher expectations that I, I think that you know four of them will be ahead of the Blazers. They're a half game ahead of of Denver, New Orleans, Phoenix, and what is it? A game up on Memphis, and I would expect all four of those teams to to pass them. Don't sleep on New Orleans passing them. New Orleans is going to win the division, Seth. They're going to be better than I, Memphis. I, gonna, I, I, I just said New Orleans is one of the teams I said. I said they're going to. I, I, I missed that part. I you just, weren't paying attention. I know. Shocking. Yeah. Um, with, you weren't listening to I, me. You never listen to me, Mo. You make up words and can't say nuclear. Why would I listen That's to you? That's a fair point. Um, 
All right, what else? We Last thing, what do you guys got in the West? Anything? We did the Warriors' struggles last week. I don't think we need to do it again. It looks terrible. They need a trade, in my opinion. Um, what? What? One surprising thing for you guys in the West, and not the surprise teams. Don't cop out. Um, I think Denver is as quietly um, without, you know, they had kind of a, we, we were, we were opening night. They got drilled by the jazz and we were a little worried about them. I think they're, they're finding their feet a little bit. They, they, they dropped one last night uh, to the Knicks where that, well, Jokic didn't play. He's in health and safety protocols. So that, that's a little bit of a DeAndre Jordan mulligan. Um Hey, DeAndre, DeAndre was like it a was, plus it, 10 last night. He wasn't bad. I was yeah, watching I it. I was like, what's going on? I know, but I it, know but what it, to do. it's just, but it, you, I mean, just from a style standpoint, going from not even just a skill standpoint, go from like, you know, the greatest point center of all time to DeAndre Jordan is just like very much whiplash. But I think that, you know, uh, I picked Denver to make the finals before the season. And I think they're, they're starting to round into form. And uh, I, I think the the addition of of Contavious Caldwell Pope is is going to again prove big for them um, in terms of of addressing something that's been a problem for them, which has been point of attack defense the last couple of playoffs. So uh, so that's that's something I'm watching for is them just kind of easing their way into kind of getting to where I think they're gonna they're gonna end up at the end of the season. To me, Dallas is a fascinating experiment right now because like, we all know the stats on Lucas' usage. His time possession is the highest that we've ever tracked, so on and so forth. And then we also see that he's such a dominant force in first halves and kind of your logic, I think a lot of the time is, can we just keep it close, uh, You know, survive this early onslaught from Luca, and hope that he tires out in the second half? Uh, which didn't work out for the Clippers in a close game the other night. But then then you see the what Dallas did without Luka losing to Houston in the second half of that back-to-back when he rested. And, it's, you know, is, how long can we continue with him playing this style? Can they find some third ball handler to go with him and Spencer Dinwiddie? Because that player is probably not on the roster right now. I, 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 it's I, just I got a name I can watch. I, we, we, we mentioned him earlier. I think Emmanuel quickly would be an interesting, an interesting guy for them to go after. And I, mean, I think uh, last year in the mock trade deadline on dunked on, I'm pretty sure is Dallas. I traded Jalen or, or he tried at least to try G Brunson to New York for quickly in a first round pick. It would which, be fun if we, if we sort of did that in, in pieces in, in, in sort of the free agency <laughs> trade. Sure. Cause, Cause I mean, that's that, that, yeah, that that's sort of a little bit what it would end up being. Um, just a note on them. Uh, last two weeks, they're 28th in offense. Oof. Yeah. That's, I mean, they, they really missed Christian Wood those couple games that he was out. Yeah. The two, their two worst losses the, at Orlando without Palo Bancaro, at Washington without Bradley Beal were both Wood miss. But I think, but even, even with that caveat, the fact that you have to caveat, well, they were out without Christian Wood. You know, Christian Wood has been a productive player the last couple of years, but if that's what takes you from, you know, top whatever offense to bottom three that's a problem yeah that's that's like wow we really have to investigate like christian wood's importance and impact at that point my my one surprise team and maybe it's not that surprising but phoenix suns just humming along devin booker's been awesome he 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 should have probably been in our kicking ass conversation but i think the they're rolling on no no Chris Paul the past few games. Cameron Payne is shaky up and down. It was phenomenal against the, the, the Warriors. Same for Mikhail Bridges. Like these dudes just kind of killed it. I was really kind of impressed with them. I've been impressed with them. We look at this team as team strife the past few, the past two years. Last year with the whole Robert Sarver thing, and they just went humming along and crushed everybody. Got destroyed in the playoffs. This year we're going in the eight and stuff, uh, not talking to Monty Williams, uh, free agency, how that all played out. We're looking at now Sarver looking to sell the team, the uh, Jay Crowder situation. Now you have Cam Johnson out. No problem. They're right in the thick of things. Nine and five, right behind the Portland Trail Blazers. Granted, they've lost twice to the Blazers, but I feel like they've they got some promising stuff. And hey, man, Jack Londale. Who knew? <laughs> I think we've been, you know, for for, for the last couple of years, we've been, uh, uh, well, certainly last year, we, we were, 
No, for a lot of, since 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 Chris Paul has been there, the one thing that we've kind of wanted to see from them is a, a way, a, you know, a change of pace because they, you know, they have the 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 rim protecting center and they put the ball in 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 CP and, and Booker's hands and kind of spread out and 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 do that. Just just getting a a viable kind of stretch big option just gives us such a different look. And he's been he's been pretty he's like he he's been held up I think a little better defensively than than we we, we thought he might. For a team that we thought really didn't add much in the offseason because of the fact that they kind of went very, uh, I'm not going to say the term cheaped out, but uh, cost-saving oriented on their bench. Oh, like, they cheaped out. Let's not be nice. We don't need to mince words. <laughs> like I, I don't think they knew that Jock Landale was going to play this much. I, I'm pretty confident they assumed Dario Sharsh and Bismack Biombo were going to be playing those minutes. But the other guy that they added on the Chief this offseason was Damian Lee at the minimum. He had a revenge game against the Warriors last night. Nine points, eight, eight boards, uh, big three-pointers in the fourth quarter. And like as much as we talk about the free agent, the Otto Porter the second, Otto, Otto Porter Jr. and Gary Payton the second, the impact of losing those guys off their bench. Like Damian Lee didn't play at all in the playoffs, really. But you go through a long eighty-two game season, that guy helped you a fair bit. Yeah, I think that's kind of a a, a fair way to look at it. All right, let's call it here. Kevin Pelton, plug whatever you got coming. Uh, let's see. I think I'm writing something next week or early next week, but. Uh, uh, we'll save that just in case the topic changes by then. So, you know, just uh, check everything out on ESPN.com, ESPN Plus, and then at uh, Pelton on Twitter for now. There you go, folks. Just go follow Kevin. Go listen to the Hoop Collective, which I listened to, Kevin. That was some <laughs> bullshit that you threw at me. Seth, what you got? I just want to give a shout out to Ryan Kershaw, the uh, first year head coach of Carlton College, got his first uh, W. Uh, the other night, so congrats, coach. Uh, well done, and hopefully first of many. All right, for Seth, for Kevin, for Mo, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on Nerder. Hello, and welcome to Shiro. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.